Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul rebukes the Apostle Peter publicly for Peter's hypocrisy. As Christians, sometimes we need spiritual correction from other believers. At other times, we need to give spiritual correction to other believers. Do you have a lifestyle of willingly receiving and giving spiritual correction? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 2 and look at this incredible encounter between the apostles Peter and Paul. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and hopefully all just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, increasingly giving your lives to walk with Jesus more and more and more and more in every way, in every aspect of your life. You and I want to have more and more and more Jesus, increasing Jesus in everything, right? We want more Jesus, of course, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally, and literally every aspect or compartment of our lives. We just want to bring Jesus into it more and more and more and more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right. Today, Lord willing, we'll finish Galatians chapter two. Um, the plan is to do verses 11 to 21. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a serious, serious teaching. We're going to find that the Apostle Paul is going to publicly rebuke the Apostle Peter. And again, a little, you know, a uh, little background here. Um, Peter at this time in the early church was like a rock star, right? He was known um, and, and, and people, you know, were almost idolizing him more than they should have. Right. Uh, Peter is certainly a man of God and we, we honor him for his walk and dedication to Christ. Um, but he, he's just a man. And we're going to see that here that, uh, you know, that Peter is going to uh, is going to, you know, is going to act in a sinful way. Um, he's going to draw back from, you know, eating and spending time with non-Jewish believers, with Gentiles who are, you know, not under the law of Moses, nor putting themselves under the law of Moses, Gentiles who, you know, are not being circumcised. You know, Peter had a lifestyle of, you know, of eating with them and drinking with them and hanging out with them. But then he was getting, you know, he felt pressure from some other people that had come in and said, man, you can't be doing that, that all non-Jewish believers, and, you know, those are Gentiles. I've said this before. There's only two groups of people in the Bible, Jews and those who are not Jews are Gentiles, right? And so anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. Well, Gentiles were becoming Christians. They were trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But certain Jewish, you know, Christians were coming in and, and saying that Jesus wasn't enough. You had to, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you also had to follow all the laws of Moses. You had to follow the Ten Commandments. You had to follow the dietary laws. Um, you had to be circumcised. And all of these things had to be done as well as trusting in Christ. And, and this is absolutely not true. There's nothing we do to add to what Jesus has done. 
the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, our deliverance from eternal hell, and our having relationship with the triune God, all of these things happen by us trusting and relying and receiving Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. We don't add anything to that, okay? None of my good works help save me. Nothing I do in any manner or any way can help save me. As a matter of fact, anything that I added to my salvation would only spoil it, okay? So again, salvation comes, right, Alicia? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's by grace. I was at the uh, the diner this morning with my brother Jason and my my older sister Alicia was over there and she was listening to one of these teachings and she had asked me, what, what is grace, okay? Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Um, grace is, is, is when we get blessings from God that we do not deserve. It's God's unmerited favor toward us. We're saved by that grace, right? We don't merit salvation. We don't deserve to go to heaven. Um, because we're sinful human beings, we deserve uh, to spend eternity in hell separated from the triune God. But by his grace, God the Son, Jesus Christ, became a human man for us. Not because we deserved it, we deserved hell. But by his grace, right? His grace extended to us, right? We're saved by grace, not by anything we earn. It's, it's actually, we don't deserve it, right? So grace is when we get blessings from God that we do not deserve. We also talked about mercy, right? What is mercy? Mercy is when we do not get punishment from God that we do deserve, right? So grace and mercy, I want both of them, right? And all of us should desire both grace and mercy. So thank you, Lord Jesus. So these, these Jewish believers were saying that you had to add to the cross of Christ, right? That you had to add, you know, your works of the law, that you had to be circumcised, right? That, that every man, you know, uh, as a Gentile had to, to have his penis circumcised, right? And by doing all these things, you would be acceptable to God. And, you know, although Peter knew these things weren't true, he had caved to the pressure that these other, you know, these other believers were putting on him. And he began to draw back from the Gentiles. And, and Paul is going to rebuke him in a very forward, public, bold in certain manner. And there can be no doubt, no doubt that Peter received it. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have this Bible. But, Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us for dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we worship you and praise you today. We ask you now to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, give us eyes that see 
and ears that hear as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. Paul speaking. Paul wrote this letter. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. So this is a big deal here. Again, um, you know, previously, Paul had just said those reputed to be pillars. Remember, um, verse nine of the same chapter, James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And so you see it. It's in there again, Alicia, when they recognized the grace given to me. When, when they recognized the blessings given to Paul by God's grace that he didn't earn, right? And, and again, that's the way all of us ought to look at our lives as we're just objects of grace and mercy, okay? Our Heavenly Father is not indebted to us. He doesn't owe us anything based on anything we do. Everything we receive, we receive by His grace, and by his mercy. Every blessing we get, we get by his grace, right? Um, and when we do not get punishment for our disobedience, that's certainly his mercy. So, you know, these guys are pillars, right? They're the leaders of the early church, right? They're the big bosses. They're the senior pastors, so to speak. They're the big elders, right? 
And so in verse 11, Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, now remember Antioch was Paul's home church at the time, and Peter visited, and and, and, and in Acts 11, it says there were 3,000 people in the church, so there would have been a tremendous amount of Gentiles in the church, there would have been Jews in the church, again, a, a, a big church. Um, and again, this would have been, you know, Paul's home church where he would have done, you know, just his daily preaching and teaching, right? At this time, verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Okay. Um, uh, You know, there's a lesson here for us that, you know, we have to be careful as ministry leaders, as pastors, as elders, as deacons, all of us who have titles in ministry, we are extremely susceptible to, to being deceived and making mistakes ourselves. It's easy when we, you know, when we get into church leadership to think that, you know, we've got it figured out, to think that we know everything. And, you know, we really don't want to hear anything from anyone else, particularly when we're the ones that have the titles and we're the ones that have the status. Um, and really, every single church leader, ministry leader, anyone that has a title of any sort, right? Church leader, pastor, minister, elder, deacon, uh, you know, worship leader, uh, ministry leader, bishop, any title. If you have a title in the church, you and I are certainly susceptible to this, okay? And oftentimes, the Lord is going to bring correction to us Sometimes from someone that doesn't have the same title or the same, quote, authority that we may think that we have. Now, as a side note, there's no authority in titles in the kingdom of God. There is no spiritual authority in titles. Just because you carry the, the, the title pastor or elder or deacon or bishop doesn't mean anything before Jesus, okay? It certainly means we're going to be more responsible to Christ for that, for, for having had that ministry position and that ministry title. But no one comes to you and says, well, since I'm an elder here, I'm your authority. No, okay? All authority, spiritual authority, flows along the lines of relationship, okay? Spiritual authority, right, comes with relationship. Now, as Christians, we all have the authority to exhort one another in the word of God and the son of God. Indeed, it's our job. Now, spiritual authority beyond that comes only from growing an intimate relationship with another believer. If you, you know, if you're in relationship with pastors and elders and deacons and they're giving you their time and ministry leader and they care about your growth and they're sowing into your life, then yes, you know, you ought to submit to their spiritual authority. But it has nothing to do with the title. Okay. Now that's different. Natural authority does. <clears throat> you know, is based on title, meaning you go to your your job and your supervisor or your boss, you know, has that title and has that position that they are in authority over you with regard to that natural position in your job. The policeman, okay, he has that natural position over you, right? He has that authority. It's given to him by the government and you need to honor that natural authority. 
spiritual authority does not flow along the same ways. Again, spiritual authority is not based on position or title. It's based on relationship. Okay. Um, So, you know, as pastors and ministers, you know, certainly we ought not be claiming authority in general. Just we want to be leery as someone who keeps talking about authority and their authority, particular submission to their authority. Um, again, it's, it's an, it can be an unhealthy interest. Now, again, there is a proper spiritual authority. And I'll say again, if someone is giving you their time and is sowing into your life, and, you know, they're they're exhorting you in the word of God and the son of God and they care about the condition of your soul and they show it to you in all these ways. Then certainly you ought to have a heart of submission, you know, to these to these men and women. Does that make sense? All right. But it's not just because you want to be leery of someone that just walks around and says that they're in authority because of some title or position that they carry. OK, um, so. Peter comes to Antioch. He has greater titles and he has greater positions, but Paul firmly rebukes him to his face. And he says, because he was clearly in the wrong. Okay. Verse 12, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So again, this is what was happening. I already explained it a little bit. Men were coming in with titles. They were coming in and they were, you know, they were sent from James or they were claiming they were sent from James, right? One or the other. And they were using that as an authority, as if James sent us and James. So again, they were throwing around titles. Um, Very possibly they had, you know, uh, a certain charisma about them, a certain boldness about them, a certain certainty in their world and their words. And, you know, they were claiming to come with a certain authority and a certain title um, based on the fact that they were in relationship with James, who was the early, who was the leader of the early church. And they were trying to give instructions based on that. And I'll say it doesn't matter whether you come from James. Okay, you're you're the authority is not in any ministry position. It's not because your pastor says so, your elder says so. It's based in the word of God. And Paul's going to vehemently clean this up, okay? Paul's going to make it clear that he doesn't care where where any of you came from. You could be sent from James or anyone else, okay? But if you're not standing in line with the gospel, you know, he's going to clean that up and make sure there's going to be no reproach brought to the gospel, right? Um, Number one, so that, you know, we don't reproach Christ and say, Jesus, the work you did on the cross is not good enough which was ultimately what these men were saying, um, but also to pervert people's understanding of what the true gospel is, right? He says, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Verse 12, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So the circumcision group was a group that again was bold. They were saying that, you know what? You know, you got to believe in Jesus, but 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 all the Jewish laws and traditions in the Old Testament must still be followed or you are not saved. And so Jews and Gentiles both need to follow all the law of Moses. Uh, They need to follow all the dietary laws and they need to be circumcised. And if they're not, 
they're not saved. So again, the circumcision group was adding to the cross. They were saying men had to be circumcised, right? And had to come under all the law of Moses and submit to all the law of Moses and be under authority of the law of Moses as, as well under the authority of Christ having to receive Christ. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This is a very sad, sad thing that's happening here, okay? The great Peter now, okay, who is an incredible man of God, you know, again, is in fear, right, as Paul said, um, of, the, of these leaders. Peter is Jewish. He used to freely eat with the Gentiles, right? And he would hang out with them and spend time with them, even though the Gentiles weren't following the law of Moses, as Peter himself wasn't. He wasn't submitting to all the dietary laws anymore. He wasn't submitting to all these other Jewish customs, right? Um, his salvation and trust is in Christ alone. His justification, meaning being declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God, that's justification, is in you know having faith in Christ alone, right? But now, you know, when the when these guys came from James and started imposing you know, you know, these new standards that were, were utterly unbiblical, not of God, heretical, right? Peter, you know, was, you know, was, was afraid of them. And so he stopped eating with the Gentile Christians. He, he wouldn't be around him anymore if they weren't submitting to the law of Moses. And try to imagine the hurt and the pain that the Gentile Christians may would have experienced in this, right? Imagine you're a Gentile and, you know, the great Peter is here, right? The man of God, the one who's walked with Christ, the one who we heard that people were getting healed in his shadow. And, and Peter was showing you love and he was hanging out with you and you guys were, were eating together and fellowshipping together. And, you know, you're, you're a Gentile Christian, you know, you, you weren't, you know, man or woman, you weren't, um, uh, you know, you weren't a Jewish, you know, uh, believer. Um, and, you know, you weren't under Jewish law because that's not what you had been taught. Um, Paul had taught you clearly that that you're saved complete and totally and only in receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior and trusting and relying on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And and you're in this, this incredible fellowship with Peter. And Peter is preaching and teaching and sharing life with you. But all of a sudden, something happens. And these other guys come in now. And you notice that Peter won't even be around you anymore. And you go to, to sit down next to Peter, and he says, you can't sit here. And all of a sudden, he won't have anything to do with you anymore. And something has changed, right? And, and all of a sudden, now, you go to sit down with Barnabas, and Barnabas, too, is saying the same thing. No, no, you guys, you have to go over there. You're not under the law. And you're thinking to yourself, what are you, what are you guys talking about? You know, we, we've been listening in church that, that, that no more are there any Jewish customs for any of us. But Barnabas is saying, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, but you can't sit with us anymore. We can't be around you anymore. We can't be friends anymore because you're not under the Jewish law. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy 
so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray, so that the other Jewish people in church were acting this way too. Imagine Paul. You can imagine the great apostle here, Corinne, being, being near enraged, right? Just so angry with the hypocrisy of Peter, who himself knows that, that we add nothing to the cross of Christ. None of the Jewish traditions, none of the Old Testament laws do we do, we do any of them. No circumcision means anything regarding our salvation. And so he's, again, try just to, if you can understand the zeal in Paul, the anger in Paul, okay? He's not at all impressed with Peter's title and position. And again, we ought not be impressed with title and position in the church. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you're disrespectful, okay? Um, you know, it's a fine line and one I, I, I confess I've broken. So now... What we can see here, and it's an important principle to recognize, is that we're, when we're in leadership, and again, I failed in this just like Peter has, you know, we can lead other people astray. You know, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So when they saw the great Simon Peter drawing back and not eating from the Gentiles, well, we ought to do this too. And even Barnabas, who scholars say was Paul's probably best friend, he too started acting in this just, just hypocritical hurtful, ugly way. No, no, you non-Jews, you can't eat with us because you're not submitting to the law. You're not being circumcised. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So again, the truth is the, the truth of the gospel is you're forgiven of your sin completely, totally, and only by trusting in what Christ has done on the cross. And you can add nothing to that. Nothing in the Old Testament, nothing in the law of Moses, nothing in circumcision, none of your works, nothing can be added to what Christ has done. That's the truth of the gospel. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, okay? So Paul felt it necessary that this be a public rebuke. He could see the pain in the hearts, right, Rap? The hurt and the pain, Becky, in the hearts of these Gentile Christians and not understanding now why, Barnabas, we've been hanging out together. You know, you've been my teacher. You've been like a father to me. And Peter was coming and you were, you're like this amazing teacher and, and now you won't have anything to do with me. And what did I do? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, there are times for us as ministers to give public correction. Now, most of the time we ought to do it privately, right? Matthew 18, right? Go to your brother personally. But there are specific times now when, 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 when many people were being led astray and causing hurt and pain and confusion that, that we, it needs a public correction, okay? We, ought, we don't do this out of pride, right? You do it out of an honor and love for Christ. And you got to be careful because it's easy to get our pride into it, right? It's very easy to get puffed up, you know, in public rebuke. And it's something we all need to be very careful of, right? There are people that their whole lives is about publicly rebuking other Christians. And again, certainly we need correction, but that not ought to be the whole focus of your ministry, right? 
um, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all. Um, and again, so it just shows you here again, save the grace of God, all of us, we can make these mistakes. None of us are impervious to these mistakes. So, and, and there are times where we may need to give a rebuke and there's times we, need, we may need to receive it. I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, verse 14, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What is Paul saying? Peter, you yourself are Jewish. You're born Jewish. Yet you yourself are not doing any of the Jewish laws and customs at all. You know that your salvation is by grace alone. Yet you're forcing non-Jews to follow these traditions and laws and dietary laws and circumcision that you yourself don't even follow. You're being absolutely hypocritical. And remember, Paul is saying this in front of Peter, Barnabas, all the Jews, the ones that supposedly came from James and said, James said this, Paul don't care. Okay? You see that, Pop? I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Meaning, the Gentiles don't follow, are not under any Jewish laws, and that's how you live. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You can't be with me anymore unless you put yourself under all the law of Moses. Yet Peter himself is not under all the law of Moses. Absolute hypocrisy. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not, quote, Gentile sinners. And Paul's really being sarcastic there. Like, we're Jews by birth, right? We're the pure ones. We're not the, quote, Gentile sinners, Paul's made it clear we're all sinful. We all are horribly sinful. All 8 billion people in the world need Christ to save them, whether you're born Jewish or non-Jewish, which means you're Gentile. We all need Christ. We who are Jews by birth and not, quote, Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So, so do you, let's break this down now, okay? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we even have the, the great Jewish blood. And again, Paul's being facetious here, even a little sarcastic. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, to be justified means, it's a legal term that means to be declared not guilty of sin, any sin, past sin, present sin, or any future sin in your life. You know, it's a past tense verse. We know that a man is not justified, declared not guilty of any sin in your life that you'll ever commit or have committed. And it means to be declared righteous before the triune God. That's what it means to be justified, to be, declared, to be declared not guilty of any sin and to be declared righteous before the triune God. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This happens, this being declared not guilty of sin and righteous before the triune God has nothing to do with observing the law. It has nothing to do with doing good works. 
It has nothing to do with being circumcised. It has nothing to do with following the Ten Commandments. It has nothing to do, you know, with the, the dietary laws and circumcision and any other of the, the Old Testament, you know, laws that the Lord, you know, gave through Moses. None of that saves you. None of that helps save you. You're saved again by grace alone, God's unmerited favor towards you, through faith alone, faith trusting and relying and believing in Jesus Christ as your only hope for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul, the deliverance from eternal hell and going to heaven. Um, that happens only by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, meaning Jews and Gentiles, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, right? So even us as Jews, Paul is saying, Peter, you and I as these, quote, Jews by birth, even we know that none of the old Jewish laws have anything to do with us. And yet here you are trying to force Gentiles to come under Jewish laws that we are we 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 know ourselves have nothing to do with our salvation. So you see the hypocrisy of Peter here that we may be justified by faith in Christ, meaning we're made right with God. We're declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God by faith in Christ, trusting and relying on Jesus and not by observing the law, by doing anything good. One of the great stumbling blocks in the world today, and it's in every other religion, is, is people think they're going to go to heaven by doing a lot of good. They have this scale mentality that, you know, when I leave this life, God will put my good on one side of the scale and my sin on the other, and they, they hope the good outweighs the bad. No, good never takes away bad. Never does our good take away our bad, not in this life or the next. I mean, again, if we murder someone in the state of Texas, all the good we do and had done in our whole life wouldn't take that away. And we either spend life in prison or be executed, right? Because good doesn't take away bad. We need a savior in the same way all the good we do. Observing the law, following the law of Moses, doing good works doesn't take away our sin. We need to humble ourselves and confess that we're hopeless, helpless, and desperate. And only in Christ can we avoid hell. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Do you hear that? Not of all 8 billion people in the world, no one will be made right with God. No one will be declared not guilty of sin. No one will be declared righteous before God by observing the law, by doing good works. Verse 17, it's a little hard to understand. He says, now Paul is going to answer a common objection that's coming up. Verse 17, quote, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. All right. What is he saying here, Susan? What Paul is saying is the Jewish, you know, these Jewish Christians that had come from James or supposed to have come from James were saying, well, what are you talking about? You're saying you don't need to be under the law anymore, that following the law has nothing to do with your salvation. You're saying you're made righteous before God only in Jesus, but yet you're not righteous. 
You admit when we look at your lives that all of you are still sinning. So how do you explain this whole thing that you're made righteous before God? When we look at your lives, you're not perfectly righteous. You still are doing wrong things. So how can you say that you don't need to be under the law for salvation? And so they, they didn't understand the spiritual dynamic. They didn't understand that justification being declared not guilty of sin and righteous before God in a spiritual dynamic is a one-time event that happens when you receive Christ, okay? They didn't understand the difference between justification and the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is after we've been justified, we've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. In the doctrine of sanctification, we spend the rest of our lives cooperating with Jesus and the Spirit of God and our Heavenly Father to be more like Jesus in every aspect of our physical lives. So in our spiritual lives, in our spirit, when we receive Christ, our spirit will never sin again, right? We are perfectly sinless and holy and never again will our spirit sin. We are righteous before God and God the Father sees us in the blood of Christ as perfectly righteous before him. Now, as we live out this life, our soul, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We still do struggle with sin. We still have a sinful nature that hasn't been eradicated when we come to Christ, right? The power has been taken from it, but it hasn't been removed from us. That's why as believers in Jesus Christ, we still sin. And so what Paul says here, you know, we are seeking to be made right and justified with Christ it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Yes, it's evident that even as Christians, we still have sin in our life. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Okay, so what he's saying here, May, right, is that, you know, yes, even as Christians, it's evident we still sin, but that doesn't mean that Christ is saying, you know, hey, guys, since you're saved, you know, just go on and keep sinning, all right? That's ridiculous, okay? No. Jesus is not telling us because we're saved now, we can just go do all the sin we want and not, not be obedient, okay? And so they're, they're, they're using this argument that, well, you know, Jesus must, must say that it's good to sin then because as Christians, you all admit that you still, you, know, you still sin sometimes. And so that must mean that Jesus is a proponent of sin. No, no, he doesn't, okay? That's where we have the whole doctrine of sanctification, and we're exhorted throughout the New Testament to walk in an obedient, a growing obedience to Jesus, but it has nothing to do with saving us, okay? We walk in growing obedience to Jesus because we love him, because he gave his life so that on the cross so that we might be saved, that we might be justified. So we obey him out of love and honor and respect, but we don't obey him to earn our salvation, right? He says in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. And what Paul said, you know, if I'm going to, what he means by that is if I rebuild some kind of salvation or righteousness by obeying the law, if I start teaching or preaching that I have to obey the Jewish traditions to be saved from my sin, that I have to follow the Ten Commandments, that I have to be circumcised, that I have to follow the dietary laws, um, then, you know, if I rebuild what I destroyed, Paul destroyed that. That's not a way of salvation. 
Salvation comes only by faith in Christ. But if I rebuild that, he says, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. Hear this. What he's saying here, and this is deep rap, he's saying that if I go back to teaching that salvation comes by, by believing in Jesus and by obeying the law, if I rebuild what I, I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a worse sinner if I start if I start preaching and teaching that salvation comes by, by anything in myself, by obeying the Jewish customs, by obeying the Jewish laws, by being circumcised, if I start teaching that, I'm a worse sinner than, than, than as a Christian who's trusting in Christ alone, who still makes mistakes and has sin in his life. Does that make sense? If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker, okay? We cannot, we cannot think that we can add anything to the cross. If I start building up this doctrine, this teaching that I'm saved, not by Jesus alone, but by Jesus and doing good works, I'm a worse sinner in that than if I'm just a Christian that humbles myself, is trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sin and the salvation of my soul, but yet I still have some sin in my life that I'm, that I'm working on, right? So hopefully that makes sense. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God, right? The law was not meant ever to give you salvation. Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law. You know, the, uh, you know, the law didn't die, but the law caused spiritual death in us, right? Because we're all sinful, we're spiritually dead because all of us break the law of God. All of us break the law of Moses. Moses. All of us have broken really all the Ten Commandments, right? We may not have broken them physically, but we've broken them spiritually. We've broken them in our thoughts, right? Um, you know, you remember when Jesus said, you know, I tell you, you know, the, you know, it was said in the law of Moses, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Wow. I tell you, it was said, do not murder, right? You know, the, the, the commandment, do not murder. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, right, in an unhealthy way, you've already committed murder. So again, all of us don't take the Lord's name in vain. Golly, don't make yourself an idol. We got all kinds of idols, right? So the law actually puts us to death and shows us how, how bad we really are, how incapable we are of keeping the law, right? Uh, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. It's when we understand how hopeless we are to be obedient to the law of God, how, how we cannot keep it, right? How we cannot perfectly keep it in any way. It's not until that that we, that we can live for God in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Charles Spurgeon said, you know, that's just something I'm paraphrasing. Um, the great preacher from the late 1800s, early 1900s, Charles Spurgeon said, you know, that, that phrase, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Me. 
Just keep saying that over and over, Spurgeon said. Let that, that get deep down in you. You know, I live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself out of love even for you, even for me, right? It's hard to believe that he would love me, such a sinful man as I am. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If, you're, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ today, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you've been identified with the death of Christ, right? Your old man, right? Your old sinful man was crucified with Christ on the cross in the spirit realm, right? I have been crucified with Christ. Paul wasn't physically hanging on the, Christ with, on the, on the cross with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me again. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're currently trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus alone, having your full faith and confidence in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, right? Christ lives in you now. Jesus actually lives in you and has given you eternal life, okay? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he says, I'm still alive in the, I'm still alive in the body, but I now live the life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, theologically, again, a Christian has been crucified with Christ, okay? Your old dead spirit's been crucified with Christ. Now you're alive in Christ. Jesus lives in you. And the life that we go on living in the body is completely lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died the death on the cross for me that I should have died. He took the punishment that I should have been punished with. Jesus even went to hell where I should have gone, but he didn't suffer in hell. Jesus conquered hell. The worst day there ever was a hell is when the son of God entered hell during that time he was, he was in the grave, cleaning that up too, right? Now, again, you know, the scripture tells us, you know, in, you know, first Peter three, that again, he went and preached to the disobedient, you know, who had died in the days of Noah. Right. Um, and so, again, Jesus did not suffer in hell. OK, not in any way we would have. Right. We would have been suffered in hell for all eternity. Jesus conquered hell. You know, all his suffering was was completed at the cross of Christ. Paul says that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I, I often look at this verse as, as one just as a practical application as well, right, Chris? You know, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And, you know, Paul really lived this way out in his physical life as well. In his natural life, he actually lived like he no longer lived. And there's just so much in me still alive. There's just so much of John. There's so much of me and my wants and my desires 
that haven't been crucified with Christ in my natural life. In, the, in my spirit, it's perfect, right? I've actually spiritually been crucified with Christ and been resurrected and given new spiritual life, and I'll never, I'll never sin again. But, but all of us ought to be looking to be crucified with Christ in our day-to-day walk as well. And there's just seemingly so much of me still alive. Not seemingly, there is. So much of me that in my natural day-to-day walk, right, Scott, that needs to be crucified with Christ. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for me. He gave himself for you. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. End quote. I do not set aside the grace of God. When we start adding to the cross, when we start adding our good life to the cross, when we add circumcision to the cross, when we add the Ten Commandments and say that you have to do anything else, you're saying, I don't, I'm not saved by grace anymore. It's not only by grace anymore. It's yes, it's by Jesus and me. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. Every other religion, okay, is is trying to get to God by their own effort, by their own good works. Every other religion beside biblical Christianity, if you're still in the Old Testament Judaism or any other religion in the world, you're trying to be made right with God by your own efforts. And you're setting aside the grace of God. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, if I could be made right with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit through doing good, through obeying the law, through being circumcised, through following dietary laws, through obeying the Ten Commandments, for if righteousness could be gained that way, Christ died for nothing. When we're trusting in our own good life and our own obedience or something ridiculous like our own circumcision, right? Or following dietary laws. When you're trusting in that, it's as if you're saying Christ died for nothing. I don't need Jesus. I got this. You're adding to the cross. You're defaming the cross. You're defiling the cross because you're saying that God the Son... Jesus, who willingly became a human man for you, lived a perfect righteous life on your behalf that you couldn't live, died a a perfect, righteous, torturous death that you should have died, and then was raised from the dead, right? You're saying, none of that matters. Don't need it. I'm okay with this Hinduism. I'm okay with Buddhism. I'm okay with Islam. I'm okay with this new age stuff. I'm okay with Judaism. It's the ultimate slap in the face to God the Father who gave and sent God the Son to do all this on your behalf and on my behalf and in our place. And yet you say, you know what? We don't need it. So I'll ask you, have you received Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul And the deliverance, your deliverance from an eternity in hell, separated from the triune God and all those in heaven. 
When you genuinely receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived when he walked the earth is actually credited to you as if you lived it. In all of your and my sin, past, present, and future sin, all of our disgusting, selfish disobedience, all of our sin is actually credited to Jesus at the cross, past, present, and future sin. Someone will say, well, how about my future sins? When Jesus died on the cross for you, Corinne, how many of your sins were future sins? Uh, all of them, right? So that exchange, that incredible exchange, the perfect righteous life that Christ lived is given to me, and all of my sin and disobedience in my life is credited to Jesus at the cross. That exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. It's kind of a nice swap, right? So if you're not sure today that you've received Jesus Christ, if you would say, you know, I don't know. I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know. I, don't, I believe in him intellectually. I know Jesus existed. If you're not sure, you can just humble yourself now before him. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you earnestly called out to Jesus? Have you, have you earnestly placed your faith and trust and confidence and reliance in Jesus alone? Again, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ? If you're not sure, just humble yourself now. We're going to call on him now. Now, it's not, hear me, it's not our words that save us by any means. It's not just saying this thing. That would be a work, right? We use our words to communicate our heart to Jesus, right? Right? It's not this prayer that saves us. It's not the words that save us. It's Christ that saves us. We simply use our words to call out to him, right? We use our words just to communicate our heart to him. So just close your eyes and just... Just humble yourself before Jesus and just pray these words. Just, just call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. And Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. And I do believe that you came to this world and lived a perfect life, even for me, that you gave yourself, even for me, and that you died a perfect death, even for me. And Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today, and I worship you today, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. I ask you, Jesus, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and all my trust and all my hope and all my confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. That's a Christian, right? Again, we use those words to call out to Jesus. It's not our words that save us. It's the sincerity and genuineness of your heart of humbling yourself before Jesus, knowing you're hopeless without him, and just in faith, giving your life to him. Again, if you're not sure, rewind the tape, go back, use the words I used, 
but it's the genuineness and sincerity of your heart that matters and you'll become a Christian. And remember, you can add nothing to that. It's humbling ourselves and saying it's Christ and only Christ and anything we add to it will only spoil it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, for just these, these scriptures in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. We thank you that we have our Bible, Father. Father, I ask you to convict us and to help us and to forgive us where we have ever added to the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Father. Father, forgive us when we've been like Peter, Lord, and when we've drawn back and when I've drawn back, Father, and when we have just, you know, when we haven't stood for the truth of the gospel, I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to give us discernment and courage and strength when it's when we're called to, to make corrections and stand for the truth, Lord, of the gospel of Christ and help us to do that, Father, without pride, you know, Lord, without just uh, self-serving pride in our hearts and forgive us where we failed. Lord Jesus, we love you and worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen.